Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. Book of Acts. And we're in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And you should have had, you should have received a bullet, uh, uh, an outline. We're still in the same outline that we had the last time. You should have received the same outline in your bulletin. And we're dealing with Saul's conversion. Last time we were together, we didn't finish it. We got into it, and we weren't able to finish the whole outline. So we're still in the same outline uh, of Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Spirit that we're able to sense and feel in the service this morning. And Lord, as we get into your word, open up our minds and open up our understanding so that we may be able to receive. Lord, you know what we need this morning. Just a word from you is able to make all the difference in our lives. Lord, open up your word to us. Give us a revelation of your word. Anoint our minds, quicken our minds, and quicken our hearts, I pray. Let us not be the same, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now, the last time that we were together, we were in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and here we have the account of the conversion of Saul or the conversion of the Apostle Paul and it's a very dynamic dynamic conversion in fact the conversion I mentioned it la the last time I'll repeat it again that the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was the most dramatic and remarkable conversion in all the annals of history I mean we see the power of God manifested right here in chapter 9 through the conversion of the Apostle Paul. We also made mention that about the background of Saul. He was uh, from an aristocratic Jewish family, of which his father possessed the rights of Roman citizenship, making Saul a freeborn Roman. Saul was a learned scholar, theologian, he was sent to Jerusalem as a boy when he was trained in the school of Gamaliel. And then he gives a description of his background in Philippians chapter 3 and also verses 4 to 7. And then finally he became a fanatical persecutor of the church. And he really was a fanatical, uh, committed, dedicated persecutor of the church and of the Christians. He was also involved in the murder of Stephen. He stood by while they brought the clothes and laid it at his feet. And he, he had also a letter of the chief priests, we find, to go after all the Christians and incarcerate them and, and bring them back. And bring them back for, for trial and also for persecution. So... Saul was an enemy of the, of the Christians, and he was also an enemy of the church. Now let's take a look, and let's begin to read, and we will read until the portion that we're going to be dealing with this morning. In chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, And Saul 
yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So you can see that he goes to the high priest so he could get the authority. And desired of him letters of Damascus to go to the synagogues. You notice they didn't go looking for him. But he was the one that took the initiative to go to the high priest, get the authority so that he could go after the Christians. And desired of him letters of Damascus to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he may bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as they journeyed, they came near Damascus. And then it begins to bring out his, uh, his calling, how God called him, or how the Holy, Holy Spirit began to work within his life. And it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuteth. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling, notice the, how he was in the state that he was in, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, here we find in the passages of Scripture, it brings out how God is able to transform a life. How He is able to do the impossible. It doesn't matter how impossible a person may seem, how hard he may seem to be able to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God specializes in impossible cases. And we have the proof right here and the testimony right here in the life of Saul that became the tremendous and powerful Apostle Paul. Now God works with us different ways. I, 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 I believe that probably, I know that probably there are many of you that when you were converted, you didn't see a, a big light and possibly maybe you weren't trembling. God works with us in different ways. But each one of us that are here this morning, if you have had a born-again experience, then you know what we're talking about when we talk about a transformed life. Then later also, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when he was writing to the Corinthians, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus is in the transforming business. And we all have our own personal experiences how God transformed our lives. I can never forget my experience, and I'm sure you can never forget your experience. I didn't have an experience like, like Saul where I saw a lot of light, but I had a, a real emotional experience. And I've mentioned it many times how in a moment's time, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. Jesus got a hold of me. And when Jesus, by the time Jesus got a hold of me, by the time he finished with me, my life was totally transformed. It didn't take a long time, but in a moment's time, there was a transformation that took place within my life. The beauty of conversion is that in a moment's time, Christ transforms your life. It doesn't have to take years, but in a moment's time, when you have an experience with Jesus Christ, in a moment's time, he's able to transform your life. 
there's a quickening of the spirit within your life that suddenly transforms you and you become a brand new man in Christ Jesus, a brand new woman in Christ Jesus. That's the instant transformation, but then there's the progressive. Then there's the room for growth, and there's the growing process that begins to take place. But once we were dead, and all of a sudden in a moment's time, we're quickened by the Spirit of God and we're made alive. We were dead, and all of a sudden we were dead to the things of God, all of a sudden we're made alive. And this is exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was dead to, to everything about Christ. He didn't understand the things of God. You see, he was sincerely wrong. He really felt that what he was doing was right. He gave himself to something that he really believed in. He believed in it with all of his heart. He was a, a radical a persecutor of the church. He really felt that what he was doing was right. He was a, a, a Pharisee. He, 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 he was zealous concerning the, the law. And he really felt that this was a, a cult that was totally against the things of God. And he came against it. But oh, how God is able to to come and invade our lives. How God is able to come, and suddenly when he comes, there's a difference that takes place. And this is what happened to Saul. And it says over here that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there was a shine round about him, a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? And it was Jesus that was speaking to him. Now somehow, Jesus did not use Peter. Jesus did not use any angels. Jesus did not use anybody else, but it was Jesus himself that came and confronted Paul. It looked like it, it had to take, he probably would not have listened to anybody else but Jesus himself. And Jesus knew exactly what it would take to transform the life of this man and Jesus came, why do you persecute me? You notice, he was persecuting the church, persecuting the Christians. When Christians are being persecuted, when somebody comes against you, if you're a child of God, they come against Christ. And he said, who are thou, Lord? You notice, you notice what he said, Lord? He figured, man, this, this is, 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 a, is a divine figure. This is... This is a divine voice. And then he says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecuteth. And then he goes and tells him, it's hard for you to come against me. And then trembling. He was emotional. Trembling, astonished. Now you notice the next phrase. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now one thing about Saul, that as soon as he recognized, as soon as he recognized that it was Jesus, and that it was Jesus that was revealing himself to him, the resurrected Christ. He stopped fighting. He submitted his will to the divine will of God. And notice what he said, Lord, he called him, Lord, what will thou have me to do? The fight ended at that very moment when he recognized that it was Jesus, that Jesus was Lord of lords. The fight ended 
and he was willing to submit his will to the divine will of God. You know that those are the type of people that God is able to use? The reason why he can't use some people, some people even after they get saved, it can't be used, is because they continually refuse to submit their will to the divine will of God. God could only use what you surrender unto him, what you submit unto him. That's why people could be in Christianity, could be saved for 20 years and 40 years, and they still haven't done anything for God. It's not by the seniority of years. It's how much you have submitted and surrendered to Jesus Christ. The more you surrender to him, the more he's able to use your life. And this was a man that as soon as he had that conversion experience, he said, then will God got a hold of me for a purpose? Lord, what would you have me to do? And then the Lord began to speak to him and tell him. You notice what he told him? He says, arise, get up, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. God always has something for us to do. There shouldn't be anybody here this morning that says, well, I don't know. I guess the Lord doesn't have anything for me. You know, Snivelers, Christian snivelers. Well, I guess God can't use me. Sure, if God saved you, then God has a purpose for you. And God has a work for you to do. And he says, and I will show you just the very same way he showed him. He wants to show us what he will have us to do. Then in verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. You notice that they heard the voice, but they saw no man. I believe it was only Saul that actually saw Jesus. And he says it later on. He, in bringing his defense as, as far as apostleship, he mentions that he saw Jesus. That was one of the requirements of uh, being an apostle. And he gives his defense that he saw Jesus. Very well could be it that at this very moment he saw Jesus. But they didn't see him. And you notice that he wasn't, Jesus was not dealing with all these people that were around him. Jesus was dealing with Saul. He was zeroing in on an individual. And it's just like here this very morning. It could be some people walk out of this place and say, well, the message... Uh, it wasn't for me or I didn't receive anything and they, it goes in one ear and out the other. But there could be somebody here this morning that all of a sudden God begins to single and begins to single you out and begins to zero in on you and your life is never again. Your life is totally transformed. He deals with us not as masses. That's what I love about Jesus. He deals with us not like he deals with masses, but he deals with us as individuals. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. And he deals with you as an individual person. So the men which journeyed with him stood speech. I better hurry on or else we'll be back again the next week. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now you notice that when he, after that experience, he was physically blind. Isn't that amazing? Here he is, physically, he is blind, but spiritually, he could see. Before, physically, he could see, 
but spiritually he was blind. That is spiritual blindness when somebody, an unregenerated person does not understand the things of God because they're spiritually blind. So here he was at one time spiritually blind and now all of a sudden he's physically, physically blind but he, he has spiritual eyesight and spiritually he's able to see. And it says uh, that for three days he was without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. He was dependent on somebody. And then in verse 10 it says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. Now you notice that he's in the house of Judas. You say, well, how did he get there? Well, I don't know. The Lord led him there. Who's this Judas? I don't know. He pops up, another instrument of God. Sometimes we think that God can only use superstars. God used Judas' house for a purpose. He sent him right over to Judas' house. You say, who's Judah? He pops up and he disappears. But God had a purpose for him. And his house was instrumental in the conversion of Saul. So here all of a sudden we find that uh, the Judas, it says over here, rise going to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now you see, God uses Judas for a purpose, and also God is using Ananias. Again, Ananias disappears from the scene. You find Ananias coming on the scene for that purpose, and also Judas got using him for that purpose. And then he's speaking to Ananias, and he's telling him, he's telling him where he is, who he is, and he says, and, and he's seen in a vision a name Ananias coming in, and then he tells Paul that Ananias is going to come. He tells Saul, and seen in a vision Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. God worked it all out. Jesus worked it all out. He got a hold of Saul, sent him over to, got a hold of, sent him over to Judas's house and told Judas, got, prepared Judas for that. Then he gets a hold of Ananias and gets a hold of, hey, Ananias, come on, I got a job for you to do. And you notice that these guys were willing. Now, Judas could have went ahead and said, I'm not going to have that man in my house, man. No, no way. Or Judas, uh, or, 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 uh, Judas could have said that, or Ananias could have actually said, I'm not going to go over there. And even Ananias, be, Ananias be, tried to even straighten the Lord out. Let's, let's go on and see what he did. He hasn't seen a vision, and even Ananias come and put his hand on him, and he may receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, listen, in verse 13, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. I mean, I, I know who this guy is. I've heard of his reputation, how much evil he's done by the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority. He even knew he had authority of the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, now God repeats, and Jesus repeats and says, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Even though he may seem impossible through the natural eyes, I am a miracle-working Jesus, and he is a chosen vessel unto me. And I have a purpose for him. He says, a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Even had a ministry for him. 
and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And then Ananias went ahead, and now Ananias could have been rebellious. See, the problem that we have is rebelliousness in many of us, disobedience in many of us. You always try to rationalize everything, you know. God says, do this. Well, no, I, I know, Lord, you're not telling me to do that. We're going to be coming into stewardship month next, next month, and there's some of you that the Lord says, tithe. And you, well, Lord, you know you, you know you don't want me to tithe. Whatever the Lord wants us to do. As many times we try to rational with the Lord, we try, to, we try to we argue with God, and then instead of being obedient, we're disobedient, and then the purposes of God do not become a reality within our lives. And we lose out on the blessings of God, and the growing process does not take place. But over here, Ananias, even though he didn't think it was a good idea, personally, he didn't think it was a good idea. Personally, he probably thought the Lord is making a mistake. But what did Ananias do? Ananias went his way, he, obe he was obedient, entered the house and putting his hand on him. Listen to what he said. He even called him, brother, brother Saul. I imagine him coming. Him. And Saul was over there blind, you know, and brother, <laughs> are you one of us? Is it safe? Brother Saul, he called him, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou came, has sent me that thou might receive thy sight. And he also said, not only receive thy sight, but oh, hallelujah, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. God always uses human agents. This is why whenever you say, God doesn't need me. Oh, yes, God needs you. God needs you. God is looking to you. God has given us the responsibility. God wants to use you. But it's up to us to be willing to do what he wants us to do. It's up to us to be willing to say what he wants us to say. It's up to us to be obedient. Obedient to the divine will of God within our lives. So he came up and he says, uh, Brother Saul, even the Lord, Lord Jesus that appeared unto thee, uh, also that you might receive the sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And in verse 18, and immediately there fell from his eyes as there had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now, also, even water baptism was a very important step. And you know, in being baptized, you had to make a, a decision. So not only do we see his conversion, we see the tremendous conversion that he had, the, the turnaround about face that he experienced, but also we find that there was commitment. Paul was willing to go all the way. He knew exactly what it took what it meant to be baptized. He knew exactly what was involved to be baptized. A Jew always knew what, what it was, what was involved to be baptized into Christianity. But he went ahead and he knew that there was going to be persecution. He knew that even his own family members would probably reject him. He knew that he would have to pay a price, but he was willing to pay that price for the sake of the gospel. This is why cheap 
Christianity, whenever we preach cheap Christianity, will always produce a cheap Christians. You know, poor quality Christians. This is why we should always keep the standards high. Because a lot of people don't like to hear about commitment. You know, I want to hear commitment. Why is he always preaching commitment? Why is he, why is he always jamming us? Why is he always this? And that's what the Bible does. Look at this. It talks about commitment. God could only use committed people. And here is Saul of Tarsus. The reason why God was able to use him was because he was willing to commit himself and take a stand and place himself in the hands of God. So he was baptized, it says. And then it says over here that uh, he was baptized in verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened and then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So he stayed fellowshipping with the disciples. And notice this, the commitment. Look at verse 20. And what happened? Did he have to wait? Did he want to wait? He's a type of guy. You see, Paul was a type of guy. Or Saul. I'll call Saul, Paul. We'll be using the two names. He was a type of individual that when he gave himself to something, he gave himself all the way. And when he was out there against Christianity, persecuting the Christians, he was all the way. You didn't have to ask him. He would come to you. He went to the high priest. Give me letters. I got. I got. There's a mission that I have. I got to lock up those Christians. We got to shut out that Christianity. And as soon as he was converted, the very same zeal he had against the Christians, all of a sudden it was all turned around, and he was using it to promote and to preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the very same commitment, even a greater commitment yet, and even greater zeal. You notice what it says over here? It says in verse 20, and straightway, or in other words, immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. Now, I want you to visualize this for a moment. Here's this man. Listen to me. Look, visualize this. Here's this man that he has letters. Everybody knows he's very well respected. He has authority from the chief priest to lock up the Christians. He's, on a, he's a crusader against the Christians. To snuff out Christianity. It's against the Christians. And everybody, in any temple that he would go, they knew who he was. So you can imagine when they hear Saul of Tarsus is in town. In fact, he just walked into the temple. All the Pharisees, everybody's over there looking, right? You know what they must have done? They must have went ahead and given him the, the best seat. The chief, the, the best seat in the house come and he must have taken his place. Like he would go everywhere, take his place in the best seat. And then they said, are you, are you ready to speak? He says, yes, I'm ready. And he gets up. Could you imagine the reaction of those people? I mean, they were expecting to hear something totally contrary to what he spoke. Here is the crusader that's against Christianity, the enemy of Christ, the one that's against Jesus Christ. He is anti-Jesus and anti-Christ. All of a sudden, he takes his place 
and he begins to speak and he begins to preach and he begins to preach Christ. He declared himself before everybody. You tell me if that's not commitment. You know, that does something to you. I don't believe in those secret agent Christians. Secret undercover Christians. There's a lot of secret undercover Christians. I believe that in the, it gives you strength to be able to declare yourself. Why they know me over there. And the Lord says, that's where I want you to go. And then I had a VOB and I told Mickey, Mickey, come, you know, I think the Lord wants you to go to my neighborhood. I know all those drug addicts over there. And Mickey said, dude, strong enough. Yeah, I, I, I think the Lord wants you to go. I don't know if I'm strong enough, but I think the Lord wants you to go. He said, all right, let's go. So it was him and I and, and PA system. I think we had a few gang kids that got saved. A few little gang kids over there that I don't even know they they knew they were saved. I don't even know where they, you know. And there we go, and, and Nikki says, Okay, you testify to them. And after you testify, then give it to me and I'll make you all to call and preach. All right, let's go. So, man, I was shaking like that. I mean my legs were, you know, they were having Imagine standing there and everybody's looking, hey, yeah, Sonny over here, you know, and I'm over here putting up things and they're, what are you guys doing? And they're all gathering around, hey, yeah, Sonny, man, what are you doing? And he goes, go ahead, you know. And man, I got that microphone and even though I was shaking and, you know, like this, one of these numbers and my legs were knocking against each other and I got up and, you know, I want to tell you, and I started screaming, I tell you, I'm the sonny that used to run around here and break into your apartments and steal in your stores, and, and I was the one that was running around here using drugs, but I want to tell you that one day, Jesus, and the more I started testifying, the more power, the more strength I received, and before I knew it, I was right at telling him, and Jesus Christ came into my life, my life was totally transformed. And when I ran out of material, then I just You know what that did for me? I declared myself. I declared myself, I am a child of God. Jesus Christ has transformed my life. This is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul, he was a little bit more eloquent than I was. I mean, he knew, he knows the, the Old Testament. He knows the Word. So he went and he, he, you know, God gave him revelation. He went ahead and it says over here that he began to preach Jesus. Notice what it says? It says over here, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he was. He says he preached Christ. He was the Son of God. I found out and I received the revelation that this Jesus that I've been persecuting and this one that I, and this Christianity that I've been trying to take out and root it out, it is true and Jesus is truly the Son of God. And then he goes on over here and it says, but all that heard him were made. You notice that? And said, it's not this he that destroys them which call on the name of 
in Jerusalem? Isn't this the guy that's destroying them? And came here for the intent that he may bring them bound to, unto the chief priests while they knew his intent? Well, he came here to lock them up and all of a sudden now something happened to him on the way that there's been a turnaround within his life. Now, the very thing he hated, now he's beginning to proclaim. And then in verse 22, for Saul, what does it say? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelled at Damascus, proving, you hear that? Proving that this is the very Christ. So you can see the strength. It says over here, I like what it says, that uh, he increased the more in strength. Do you know that persecution, tribulation, trials, suffering, it is part, it is something that many times God permits to strengthen us. All these things that you're going through right now, what you're going through right now, that situation that you're facing right now, if you are facing whatever situation you're facing, is first of all, it's not because God brought it. Many times God doesn't bring it. The devil comes to bring it and it tries to knock you down. But if God has permitted it, it's because God wants to use those circumstances and that situation to strengthen you. The strongest church is always the persecuted church. The church has it too easy. They're not flexing their spiritual muscles. You see, when there's, uh, when there's persecution, when there's trials, when there's tribulation, then there's a need to flex your spiritual muscle. And the strongest, ch strongest churches throughout history have always been the persecuted church, the church that has gone through trials and tribulation. The strongest people are the people that have gone through trials and tribulation because they have proved God that God is always faithful. God is faithful. So it says, says over here that he increased the more in strength, confounded the Jews, confounded them as well Damascus, pulling that he's the very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Now the persecutor becomes persecuted. Now the killer is about to become, the murderer is about to become a martyr. And they're looking to kill him. Very same thing he did to Stephen, they're looking to do to him. And then in verse 25, then the disciples took him by night. Now notice what they did. They took him by night. Look at this scene. They took him by night and let him down by a wall in a basket. Now that, that's going to be the whole story of, of Saul from this point on. Imagine they're letting, he got to get in a basket and they let him down the wall in the basket. And then when Saul was come to Jerusalem, listen to this, he has stayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And you know what I noticed here in studying this? I don't know. I noticed that God, in many of the, the, the trailblazers that God uses here, in the very beginning, it's not so much the apostles, but are the people that have come out of the laity. That's what I noticed. It wasn't the apostle. Uh, who, who was the one that God used? God began to use Stephen, right? Started speaking, and God was empowering him. Then all of a sudden, who else did God use? Philip. 
God uses Philip in such a powerful way. Philip, a trailblazer, and beginning to, 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 to bring the message outside of the Jews. And then all of a sudden here, uh, Saul goes back, and he's, he goes back to Jerusalem, and all the apostles did not receive him. They refused to believe that truly he was converted and that truly God had changed his life. Now think about it for a moment. What apostles are we talking about? Well, Peter. Let's take a look at Peter. You can imagine Peter looked at him and said, hmm, hmm, he said, hmm, hmm, he said, well, I don't believe that. You know, Peter's checking him out and getting away from him. Then I'm, I'm not surprised with Peter. I'm not surprised with Peter at all. But I am surprised with uh, Andrew. Andrew, he always was receiving people. Andrew is the one that always, on a one-to-one on -one basis, he was always dealing with people. But all of a sudden here, even Andrew didn't believe. What about John, the Beloved? John the Beloved also did not believe. In fact, he was a hard case to actually believe that God had transformed his life. In fact, they were thinking, and I, I imagine that maybe they felt the responsibility of protecting the church. And instead of believing they were unbelievers as far as his conversion, they must have said, he is trying to infiltrate. He's using a different tactic. Instead of coming from without, now he's looking to come from within. And he may be playing a role to become part of us so that from within he could begin to destroy the church. So they didn't believe. But who was the one that believed? Again, God used someone else, one of the deacons. Huh? Who did he believe? Who did God believe? And we read about him before, how he was also chosen. But Barnabas, son of consolation. You find Barnabas an encourager. Barnabas took him, and Barnabas believed. And Barnabas said, There's something about this man that is genuine. And I believe that God has transformed his life, and I want to take him under my wing and begin to disciple him. So he took the time, and Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and then Barnabas declared unto them how he had seen the Lord, and he says he seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He begins to give the story of how... God had transformed him and that he truly was genuine. And he was with them coming in, going out of Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden you find Paul hanging out with Peter and hanging out with the apostles and he's hanging around with all of them walking in and going out of Jerusalem and he's spending time with them. And then it says, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him again. There they go about to slay him again. And then, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea. Now, who was in Caesarea? Remember who was in Caesarea? They bring him down to Caesarea, and there's another brother that's in Caesarea. It was Philip that was now in Caesarea, so now he starts having fellowship with Philip. They bring him down to Caesarea, and then from Caesarea, they send him back to Tarsus. They send him back to his hometown. Then it says, and I like this in conclusion, then hath the churches, what? Say it with me. 
then hath the churches rest. You know God will give us rest. You're not always going to go through that persecution, tribulation, trial. And sometimes you say, is it ever going to let up? Well, it will. Be cool. It will. I like that song. I'm telling you, there'll be, I wish I could sing it. I'm telling you, there'll be a change after a while. Where you now wear that frown, you're going to wear a smile. Jesus suffered and died so you might have a change after a while. There are those periods of the valley experiences. And don't shun those valley experiences. But we need those valley experiences. And then there's the mountaintop experience. And sometimes we always want to be on the mountaintop. God says, no, you have to experience that valley experience as well. But then it says, all of a sudden, even though the church was being persecuted and the church was going through those valley experiences, then the church had rest throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You find it over and over, the church multiplied. Multiplication, 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 multiplication. And this is the way this church should be multiplying. You know what multiplication is? Is that you become an instrument of God and God uses you to reach someone else and then that someone else reaches someone else and there's a multiplication that begins to take place. This is what God wants and he wants to use each and every one of us. And then we find that it continues to talk about Saul, and now it starts talking about Paul. And you see Paul, great exploits, and you see the suffering. Jesus said he's going to suffer for my, my name's sake. You find Paul suffering. We're going to be getting more into Paul later on. You're going to see God using him in such a powerful way. A person that was an impossible case, someone that it took nothing short from a miracle, to transform his life, but God specializes in miracles. Listen, God is able to save your son. God is able to save your husband. God is able to save your wife. God is able to save your children. God is able to do the impossible. Have faith in God. Only believe all things are possible. And this morning, I want you to stand with me right now. The musicians come. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.